Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the New Ground Life and Leadership Podcast, here to help you thrive as a follower of Jesus wherever you are and in whatever you're going through. I'm your host, Jez Field, and thanks for being with us today. I'm really looking forward to bringing you a conversation I had several months back with Henk and Une Kirsten. Henk is part of the New Ground Leadership Team, and as a couple, they have been involved in numerous church plants in the UK and abroad, have a wealth of wisdom to teach us, and are two people who radiate something of the joy of God. And we had the privilege a year and a half ago of sitting in Liverpool at a New Ground Leadership Conference and listening to both Henk and Anae share experiences from their life and some of the lessons that God has taught them as a couple, with a focus particularly on parenting and raising children for a life of faith. It was such an inspiring session. There was barely a dry eye in the place when it had finished. God really spoke through them and ministered through them so powerfully. I thought what a fantastic opportunity it would be to get them onto the podcast to try to share some of that wealth and wisdom with yourselves. So I'm looking forward to bringing that to you. Just a note that the audio the first few minutes isn't particularly great, but it does improve. So stay with us if it's a little bit uncomfortable on the ears. So with that said, I'm going to hand over to Henk and Une and my conversation with them. Enjoy. Yeah, Une, t- uh, tell us about how do you keep your heart soft? Um, when you've been a Christian for, for many years and you've walked through lots of different challenges and trials and probably no doubt had lots of lots of encouragements, but also lots of discouragements. How do you keep your heart soft throughout it all to, and, to, and responsive to the Holy Spirit? Yeah, well, that's the thing, actually. Um, when, you know, in this time and also in the past, uh, not, you know, life can be hard, hey? And life can be different than you think it should go, but actually, to um, to keep your heart soft is really trusting God, but also uh, being in contact with Jesus and just sharing your heart and sharing your frustration. And so the Holy Spirit comes to you and you know and helping you in the situation. Wonderful, thank you. And uh, Hank, how about you? How have the last six months been? Yeah, that's been a, uh, I think I, uh, I've been pleasantly surprised with the resilience of the church. To be honest, I, you know, we work with different churches and some of the churches who didn't do so well before COVID are doing better during COVID. Uh, other churches are helping other churches to do better. And I love that kind of, uh, yeah, that, that uh, it's great to see uh, also young guys. And so there's a thankfulness in all of this. And there's also a bit like, uh, you know, when um, I've been struck by, uh, lately by, uh, and feels it's very personal, but uh, John 2 about the wedding in Cana, uh, where Jesus performed his first miracle. And uh, I think what uh, happened there is that, the, you know, the wine ran out. It says, and um, you know, you, the question that comes: Didn't they prepare well? You know, have they? You know, have they? What happened? You know, have they either miscalculated stuff, or uh, has it come as a surprise? Have more, more people turned up than they expected? But they couldn't handle uh, the whole thing, and um, and it feels like uh, we've been we've we've done stuff. And uh, we've been surprised by what's happened. And uh, we're now uh, finding that we have no solution. And, and, and what Jesus did and what he said to the, uh, the servants, he said, fill the water jars 
fill these jars with water to the brim. And they did. Uh, and I think that's what I felt, you know, that um, I, over this time, need to fill the jar to be sure that I fill the jar with worship. And I'm not reliant on I fill the jar with with prayer and, and with my walk with God. And, uh, you know, that's been a bit of a... I, I haven't found that easy, to be honest. Uh, you know, to sit around all day at home, not meeting other people. I'm the kind of guy that loves to be with people and somebody you can't. So it's a bit... That frustration has hit me and I had to work my way through it. But I think the... The thing that God spoke to me is keep your jar full because there's a thing you can't do that Jesus can do when he is with you. Mm-hmm. He can change things around and he can change water into wine. He can he can do things that we can't. So be diligent and also be purposeful. So I felt that's something that I need to still learn um, and, uh, and enjoy too. So, I mean, you guys are two people that I've kind of admired and known from afar. And what I have always thought and observed is that you're two people who seem to just radiate joy and a joy in God, a love for God, a love for people. Is that is that natural? Is that something you've always just been very, you know, joyful, happy people? Or is it something that God's really done in your life? And how have you managed to maintain um, wells of joy and optimism when things have been that difficult? Mm-hmm. Good question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think um, personally, I'm, uh, yeah, I think it's how God has made me, but it, I do feel it's part of me too. I do, I do see light, uh, even if I'm in a tunnel, I see the end of it, that kind of thing. I, I've had that. Um, God has planted it in me. I think over time, yeah, it has, uh, it has grown stronger. It doesn't that it isn't that I'm always joyful. I found that, you know, we spoke in Liverpool about uh, some of the challenging stuff that put us in a prison like uh, we felt at times in prison like a Joseph, and that's not a pleasant thing. And uh, you wrestle through it. So, but I think generally we are able to help one another to keep the joy alive. So if I'm not that strong at the moment, then they will be. It's it's almost like it works that way. Yeah. 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 I think, yeah, for me, um, I remember when I became, you know, when Jesus met me on a very young age, when I was 12 years, I felt such a love, you know, from Jesus. And I... When I talk about it, I still feel that most of the time. And that makes me really joyful. And I think also in praying, you know, being with Jesus and praying for things and just being yourself with him and actually knowing that he answered questions, that is really filled building, isn't it? And that um, gives you joy as well. So, and in those times when it was hard, you remember what he did in the past through prayer or, you know what I mean? And uh, I think also for us, um, I think for us together, we help each other, like Hank said. Yeah. Yeah. In just, you know, keeping uh, joyful. I think yeah. That, yeah. It's a choice too, isn't it? 
you can choose it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I think what, what strikes me about you two is just a, a deep authenticity about your life in God. Um, and have, how have you managed? So in Liverpool, you spent you talked a lot about uh, parenting and life on mission as a family and as a married couple. Um, is it something that you in, intentionally try to cultivate a culture of joy and thankfulness in your home? Um, and how have you? Yeah, what are some of the, the key things that are valuable to you in the Christian life? How have you sought to try to impart them to your children as they were growing up? Well, it's uh, for when they were very small, you teach them kind of way like be, to be grateful for everyday life, for what we have. Um, and I think also, yeah, songs, I think music in the house does a lot, doesn't it? And um, yeah, I think the what you say is that we have found it very important to have joy um, in the house. Uh, uh, if you meet our kids at the moment, you'll think they're very loud. We've got a very loud family, uh, but they seem to enjoy uh, life too. And I think uh, that's something that we have found very precious. Um, I think, you know, when it says, uh, we, we, we found that through the, even through the most difficult parts, when we look back, I think the difficult parts have helped us more than we could ever imagine, even our kids, I think. Um, I've said before, I think, uh, you know, the, it's amazing even in nature that um, the fruitfulness is not on the mountain, the fruitfulness is in the valleys. Um, and uh, on the mountains, hardly anything grows. And I'm a mountaintop guy, you know, I love the mountain. I love the, the high mountains in God. But it's not necessarily the most fruitful times when uh, success is there. Uh, we found that looking back, uh, the difficult moments have poured out stuff. You know, someone said the other day, I think last week in a preaching, that diamonds are made under pressure. Uh, but I also think fruitfulness is uh, more likely to happen when we're in the valley, when we can't see stuff happen, then God is most present. So I think that's where the joy comes from. It's not always in the situation, but looking to God in that situation. Mm. I'm not sure if that's clear, but... No, that's beautiful. Really, I love that comment about valleys and fruitfulness. Thank you. Um, guys, for those who don't necessarily know you and know your, your setup, um, give us a kind of thumbnail sketch of some of the some of the things that you've walked through as a, as a family. How many children do you have? Where have you lived uh, in your lives? Uh, those sorts of things. Yeah, so Hank and I met at a very young age. We met, uh, Hank was 18 and I was 14. And so... Um, 42 years of marriage now. Wow. 42 years. <laughs> oh, congratulations. Yeah. And uh, we have got four children. So they live in different parts of uh, Holland. They're all married and they uh, have children. So we've got nine grandchildren. And so we moved quite a bit, actually, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. Where have you lived then? Uh, you said in and out of Holland. You've been uh, planting churches in and out of Holland, supporting church planters. Have you done that for a long time? Has that been m the majority of your life spent planting churches, supporting church planters, that sort of thing? Yeah, it's grown that way. I think we had the... Uh, uh, I was 18, I mean, 14, but we had really known from the beginning a call of God on our lives. 
So I think that's helped us. You know, when you're talking about parenting, about being on a mission together, it does help if that happens right at the beginning. And we were fortunate. We were we were thanking God that we had that same kind of uh, direction and vision for our lives. Yeah. That has helped us. It helped our kids. We've always felt that not just us as a team, but our kids are part of the team. So we used to pray together as a family for the next step. So our kids from a very young age were praying for finance, for God to move. So we had them involved. Uh, and that's, yeah, some people are not that fortunate mm -hmm. because they need either them, uh, God in another stage in their lives or their kids in another phase or season. But, yeah, I think that's been part of it. Yeah. And most of the time it was by invitation. Yeah. So um, it was not like we had to because sometimes we didn't want to so much. But by invitation, yeah. um, it, you know, you know, our journey went actually. Yeah it's, yeah, it's even so that there was so much pressure on uh, one particular time in our lives that uh, we had no church, we had no income, we had no nothing. And I basically, at that moment, it wasn't good. I had not a good attitude, but I was fed up with leadership. I didn't want to be in leadership anymore. And I really struggled with church. So I may had more faith than I had at that time, but God took me really through that mold of, of, of seeing him still calling us. And he did that in a precious way. And yeah. it, it went from, I, my attitude wasn't a good one, but God used it to show me that he still calls. And I found this, you know, that if it's something is an ambition in your life, you can lay it down. But if it's a calling of God, you can't lay it down because God will call you. So I think if it's a calling, it'll come back. Uh, and if it comes back, you need to respond, yeah. uh, whatever. And I think um, it's by the grace of God, really. Yeah, and we took our children uh, with us, but we informed them, you know, we shared with them, we prayed together, and not too much. We, you don't want to put m uh, much pressure on children, but inform them and, you know, pray about things. And, and when God called us to another place, uh, we shared and we helped them uh, to connect with other people. And um, I think also having uh, leaders in the house, we had quite a, um, a few leaders from outside coming and stay with us when they were preaching in the church. So our children were involved in that too. So getting the mission in the house mm. and, uh, you know, they heard stories and, you know, they were involved and, yeah, and we had fun, you know, it was a combination. So yeah. really that is how we... How many times have you moved in your life? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, we we uh, we don't see. Uh, I think my counting is more than a nose counting, probably. Yeah. Uh, moving house has been moving place. We've done more, but completely moving our whole house, we've done seven, eight times. Yeah. Uh, but moving for sometimes we moved for half a year, but kept our house, and I still feel that's a moving, but. And they were not agree with that. 
but that's um, so yeah, quite a bit uh, different parts. Um, the last time was five years ago, uh, and we have in sometimes we moved because of um, local situations. Sometimes it was very, but every time we did did feel God pointed us, God showed us. Huh? Yeah. But Absolutely. four of those times we were at crossroads. And I mean crossroads, I mean a couple of years without any future uh, planned out, uh, waiting. And if you wait with four kids in the room, it's a different kind of waiting. Uh, if it's just the two of us, which lately happened a couple of years ago, we had two years of undefined future. It's different again. So sometimes, um, yeah, it's coming to a place of depending on God and trusting for finance. Uh, there have been four times in our lives we had no income, not at all. I have to trust God for every penny. and so. But he's always been faithful. We've never had short. Mm. We've always had enough. So he's been faithful right through everything. Yeah. There's lots of places I'd love to go, lots of questions I'd have. Tell us about some of the challenges and pressures of living without any specific finance. Describe, describe one or two of perhaps the, the, the most memorable moments where it's been hardest and what it's like to live in that situation and try to keep your kids from despondency and yourselves from despondency. Yeah, um, we had a period in, in life when we lived in Warrington, where the church uh, finished, stopped really, and we had to live um, actually by faith. And so uh, Hank had to go to, how do you call that? Yeah, to, uh, to claim some money from the government just to hold up our hands for some income for that week. So every week I had to go stand in the line, queue up, and get some, you call it doll or something like that? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But the funny thing was that, you know, in living that way and very simple way, um, you get quite creative um, just looking in the cupboard what we have and also be organized in how much money we, we can spend in the week. And sometimes a week was a bit more and the other week was, more, was less. But um, when there was less, I, I, I just prayed, you know, and we prayed, didn't we? And actually we got, you know, it was amazing. Sometimes from, um, uh, from people you wouldn't expect or even we didn't know because it was just to the letterbox. And, um, but in my heart, you know, I always felt like this is just for a season. It can't be, you know, <laughs> forever. Um, we hoped it wasn't for No, but I mean, we, we were selling our house. We yeah. couldn't sell our house. It, yeah. was, it was frustrating sometimes, you know. Yeah. But deep in my heart, I knew, you know, that we, we will get out of this and God will show again. But actually, you feel the pressure because you don't have much money. It's a different life, isn't it? And uh, I think special in, in today in, in the COVID, you know, maybe there are people who are in the same position. But the thing is, there's always hope in God, isn't it? Yeah, and I think um, 
we didn't have, uh, so we involved our kids at times, not always, because like Anne said, you don't want the pressure on them, you want faith built into them. So you choose the moments where you share, but we felt one particular moment when we had nothing and no bread for the next day to share with our kids, they were young. And that was an amazing moment because uh, when we started to pray, we had them all in the kitchen area. So we had this dining area. So we were having our last bit of bread and we shared with them, well, this is, uh, this is it. We need God to, to help us. There's nothing else. So, and then, shall we pray together? And we prayed together. And then our oldest girl, Maria, went upstairs. She came downstairs. She'd been saving money for a doll uh, for, uh, for playing. But she, um, she said, Jesus said to me to give you this money. And we were absolutely yeah. ashamed. We didn't want to take it, but God spoke to us. No, you take it, because I spoke. I indeed spoke. And she gave them money, and we spent it on food the next day. And then... There was this, yeah, there was this couple in the church. Yeah. And uh, she, uh, he came up to me and said, you know, uh, Maria, it's, it's a funny thing, really. He said, God spoke to me uh, to give this letter to Maria, and there's some money in there. And so I gave this uh, letter to Maria with the money in there, and she opened it. And actually, it was uh, um, double. double in money. Yeah. So, you know, she was just so blessed and so, you know, encouraged. And that is faith building as well, isn't yeah. it? Especially on a young age. Um, they saw but, Jesus move. Yeah. Uh, because we prayed together, we involved them. Uh, they saw God answer prayer. And yeah. she's never forgotten it. No. It's, it made her very generous. Why? Because she seen God provide. Yeah. You know, yeah. those kind of things, I think. Well, because I think, like you said, during COVID, most people are, um, one of the things that most people are so worried about is the thought of losing their jobs, losing their income and being destitute. Um, what would you say to encourage people who are who are facing unemployment and are scared of how they're going to make ends meet? What are some of the lessons that you've learned through the various times that you've you've been through that? Yeah, well, I think it's... It's very easy to say because we are all all different, aren't we? And but for me personally is, uh, and I think for the people, you know, just encourage them to to pray about it and trust God, um, and also not having the focus the whole time on it, but actually just be creative and um, what you have, you know, just to try to make something about it and. So kind of homely kind of attitude uh, just to share and even to share what you have to others. You know, sometimes um, it's uh, if you if you uh, if you tell others that, you know, you are in need or you just have that, you know, you also can um, can swap kind of things. And mm. but really praying is and trusting God is, uh, yeah, yeah. What, we, what I would encouraged but you know yeah and, and i do think that i'm just recalling the moments that we had to learn that lesson i uh, we spoke about the warrington time near manchester and when we arrived we'd never ever had a gift any time we, uh, there wasn't it never happened to us and probably because we didn't need it but then came that moment where we had no income and we 
uh, and Bram, our son, was only eight months old. So we bought from our last few, what, a pound and a half or something yeah. like that. We walked to the shop to buy milk for him. And so we walked to the shop and said, God, this is it. This is our last money. This is milk for our baby. It's it. We haven't got anything. You call us here, but it's empty. And as we walked back to the house, and we were staying in the house of a single guy, we lived in, his, in one of his bedrooms for a while, um, with all the boxes around. We actually had a, an envelope in, the, in his letterbox with our names on, and we opened That was our first gift. And so we started to trust God for income. Uh, in those days, they said, you live off the gospel. Basically, you trust God your own, for your own income. But what God taught us at that time is not only pray for your own money to come in, but we actually prayed for to give a tithe away, to give money away. So I said yeah. to God, God, for ourselves, we need 40 quid, but will you provide 50 quid so we can give 10 quid away? And God's been faithful even in doing that. So we found that. Um, I haven't found it easier when I got older. And you thought you would think without kids, it would be easier to trust God. It's only the two of you. I find that it's the similar thing happens still now. If we are without, we need to trust God again. Yeah. It doesn't get easier. It is still a step of faith. Mm -hmm. So right. I would say to everyone, trust the shepherd. Yeah. Trust the father. Yeah. Trust the provider. Mm. He will provide. He, will. he can't and doesn't want to do anything else. But it sometimes it is at the last moment. It's when you run dry, <laughs> when there's no more wine, when uh, it's finished. Uh, so, but expect him to yes. turn up. He will. Yeah, he will. Wow. I mean, you. I mean, you reference the. Um, the story of the wedding at Cana at the beginning and, and just then again that, um, you know, your your question at the beginning when I asked you what have you learned was just wondering, you know, have we not, or, or the wedding at Cana and Galilee, did they not prepare for this wedding? Did they not plan? And, uh, and what I hear you saying is actually you were following the call of God, so you were obeying Jesus as much as you can, but still found yourself without in times. Um, and knowing that actually ultimately it's him that provides and he, he calls so he's going to deliver what he needs. That's the sort of things that I'm hearing. Um, you've obviously, you know, you've had to get used to changing quite a lot, changing location, changing house, a lot of moves that you've mentioned um, in response to the call of God on your life and planting churches. Um, one, of the, one of the unexpected tolls that that can take on you is just the relational toll particularly you're, you both strike me as people people you love being with people you build relationships and connections with people and yet it seems that you've often also had to let go of those relationships in pursuit of a call how have you managed to remain open-handed and flexible when you've perhaps found friends and you want to stay with friends you've found a church you love the church how have you managed to remain open to moving again you know can you speak into that something Yes, good question, uh, Jess. I, I think we, um, again, it varied. Uh, there is nothing the same, and sometimes we did better. Other times we didn't do so well. But I think, in general, I'm just recalling that when we 
we bought a house a few times in our lives. Every time we bought a house, we sat down to pray. And we did it once or twice, even with the estate agents, pray together. Uh, but we did pray, God, we've got this house, but it's yours. If you want us to move, we'll move. Uh, we are uh, we are yours. So if there is uh, anything in the future, then uh, please uh, let us be open because we want to follow you. So we did feel that we are following a cloud, uh, the, the, the pillar of fire, the pillar, you know, that if God finds it's time to move, it's... It's, we need to be ready. So I think we've even said to our kids, we uh, even at times we it seemed that we either joined our kids uh, for a season or they joined us for a season. We've always said, well, you need to follow Jesus because we might be going. Um, so it's that kind of thing that um, has been with us that we... Uh, it's not that we don't want to settle, because I think uh, a few years ago, if you would ask of, ask of me, we lived in another part of Holland five years ago. If you had asked me a few years before that, then I would have said, this is where I'm going to die. I'm happy here. I feel fulfilled and okay here. But God had other plans. Um, if you'd ask me now, I'd love to die here. Uh, I'm happy here where we live right now. But that, you know, and I do hope we're not going to move shortly. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love I'd love to be able to talk to you 10 years from now and say, no, we did move. Praise God. But if, if so, yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I think also I remember the first time we left our place, we thought, you know, uh, I was pregnant with the first one and we moved to England for a year. I remember... Actually, I found it quite hard. I remember that, you know, leaving family, leaving friends. Um, yeah, I struggled with that. But, I mean, in the steps to go, um, we got new friends. And you keep in touch with a few because, you know, you can't everybody no. can please no. and, and everything. But, you you know, you keep in touch with your family and everything. And But, but with the steps to go further... Um, then you get more flexible and not really detached so much. That has two sides, hasn't it? Because yeah. sometimes it's it's hard to make really friendships because you move quite a bit. But um, I think we did okay. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the first time was hard for us and also for the children. Well, for, for our parents, parents as well. Eh? Yeah. For our yeah. parents, it hasn't been easy because we yeah. took the grandchildren away from them when we moved abroad. And for them, that was a big step. And I don't know how they did it because they let us go. And, uh, you know, with... Uh, so I think, uh, yeah, for particularly for family, we moved away from my parents who are still alive, but poor, poor. Uh, the rest of my family and our family is still where we were five years ago. We left them to come here. So it isn't that easy at times. So we don't, we struggle with that at times a little bit, but uh, no, we do, they see that it's, it, so they've all released us and said it's okay and fine, but it's, uh, it's got its costs, I think. Mm. Were your parents believers? Uh, well, 
I think they have found rest in their faith, but I haven't. Um, they've never expressed it in the same way as we do. But I, um, I think that's why it's for them it has been harder. Well, for, for for us to say, well, God called us to go, you know, that's quite something if it comes in yeah. a mindset that is, well, they have to get used to our language and to our moves, but they have, huh? They have. And I've come to yeah. appreciate that. So yeah. we have stayed good friends and I pray with them at times and for them, but. Yeah, yeah, and you find ways just to yeah. keep in contact and, you know, yeah. to bless them and, yeah. you know, to... Yeah, and I'm grateful for my brothers and sisters who have surrounded them and are with them. But, yeah, so, but it does come with a cost at times. And yeah. uh, we have to realize that at times it isn't that easy, you know. And uh, I think for those that church plant right now in Europe and beyond and in, in England, you know, you leave your leaving has to, it's a fact that it, yeah, you have to, yeah, it, it works both ways. It's challenging, exciting, adventurous, yeah, but it does come with a cost. Yes. Yeah. I would imagine like every church planter, you've known periods and times of real loneliness as well in your moving. Um, can you speak into how to handle loneliness and cope with that? And even if you have any memories where you, you can relate to times of real loneliness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's in, in church, like in leadership, actually, yeah. you know, it's, it can be uh, lonely. And uh, I remember when the kids were small and um, Hank went often away. And in those times it was more the man going and you know, we stayed. I stayed with the with the children. I remember sometimes, you know, I thought, well, the only thing I do is just looking after ch after the children, and uh, just um, you know, being at home. Mm. But um, I remember one time I was putting the children into bed, and I was I shared it with Jesus. I just you know shared my heart to him and I really felt like he was sitting next to me. He said to you, but I see you, you know, I see you, what you're doing. And I had a bit of like a pity, how do you call it? Self-pity party. Self-pity party kind of thing. But, you know, in actually being, um, feeling that Jesus was with me and he, yeah. you know, I really felt like he was saying, you know, I see what you're doing. Um, I felt so, yeah, I felt really part of it. So, uh, being at home is not, you know, you can still be together on the mission when you're home. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, really actually pouring your heart out to Jesus and just sharing. I mean, that helps. But also knowing from that moment on that, you know, we are part of it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, just getting on with it as well. And, uh, but, um, yeah, I have had some lonely times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But his presence is is amazing, isn't it? Yeah. When his presence comes, it really changed, and uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think it also comes when you at times when you don't see much happening. You know, it's not yeah. just when you are in a small setting, but sometimes it is the same applies to all of us when you're in a situation. You know, a bit like a Joseph. You know, you you know you've you're even surviving being a slave, 
but then you end up in prison, you know, and then you have a a moment where you, you know, the guy after a couple of years in prison then finds a glimmer of hope with this cupbearer and baker, and then he said, please don't forget me. I think, well, he must have thought that this is a way out. And he had a delayed waiting time of another two years. And I think those must have been the hardest years in his life. Because that seemed to be like, we know the end of the story, but he didn't. And I think sometimes we, we at the moment, don't know the end of the story. So if you're in the middle of it, it isn't that easy. And I found hope and strength from people like Joseph and others in the Bible who have faced similar stuff. Um, and I think sometimes God brings people in your way, and he did. He's done that. People who just passed by but said simple things like uh, a tap on the knee's shoulder saying, hi, soldier, you're doing well. And that just mentioning of soldier made her feel, huh? yeah. remember, uh, uh, we're in an army, and I see you, and we'll get through this together. It really did something, and sometimes it can, something like that can change it. Yeah. Uh, and therefore, I think I love the people of God uh, in Absolutely. our lives who've been faithful themselves and also brought faith at certain moments. Uh, so I think in moments of loneliness, uh, turn around <laughs> to the shoulders around you yeah. and the people around you yeah. because they've really, they can be a great help. And thank you for saying that, actually, the, the Joseph example of um, seeing a glimmer of hope and that hope disappearing out the, out the door up to Pharaoh's court and forgetting all about you. Because I think in my experience as a, someone who's planting, planted a site or a, a church now in a small town in England, is that it's slow and often discouraging which is okay but then the challenge is we seem to be surrounded by christian voices of leaders in other churches saying how wonderful and how much growth they're seeing and you can spend a lot of your time thinking am i doing something really wrong <laughs> because that's not my experience like we're trying all the same things we're turning all the same dials and not seeing the same results can you speak into helping church planters and, and people's in, people in leadership, whether it's in business or church, where you feel like you're doing all the right things, or you think you are, but you're not seeing the results that you were promised? How do you keep going and keep finding joy and perseverance without just getting, you know, bitter at God? Like, why are you giving everyone else the growth and everyone else the blessing? Can you speak into that? Yeah, I, 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 we start, I started off this uh, time with saying about... Uh, there's one particular church that is doing so well in under COVID. That church wasn't doing, and the leadership wasn't doing that well before COVID. And uh, we meet with church planters, with Chris Taylor and, and others here in Europe. Uh, once in a while, we'll get together. And I think the, the beauty of it is you share. The, the, the downside of it, sometimes you share only the good stuff. And so there are people in that room then that hear others say, man, we had 20 in the last week and we had all fires running fantastically and we get people saved. And then uh, there's a church growing, you know, and you hear those stories and the guys who are silent in the room, well, the guys think, man, nothing is happening in my corner. You know, there is nothing happening. I can't see a move of God. You know, I see, I see animals move. I see, I see anything move, but not. And, um, and surprisingly, under COVID, we're pretty much the same again. 
And I think this, uh, uh, surprisingly, COVID brings a kind of unity amongst leaders mm. because suddenly we can't boast about anything. We have no way of counting the people. And so instead of counting the people on performance, we are coming to a place of the presence of God. And I think um, I loved what I heard last week of someone saying, well, we might not have a plan, but we've got a person. And I think uh, I love that. I love that over this time. So don't count yourself out. Count yourself completely in whatever. You know, I think God uses people that are available. Coming back to the story of Cana and uh, the wedding, Jesus used servants. Uh, the guy of the feast, it says, when they brought the wine to him, he did not know where it was coming from. And it says the servants did because they've been with Jesus. And I think all that matters is just be with Jesus. Mm. Um, because what the servants couldn't do, but they could bring it, is what Jesus could do. And, and the guy who was actually leading it had no idea. So I, I'd love to be surprised again mm. over this season. But I think uh, my encouragement would be, you know, it's, it's this really. God is there. And, uh, and we've been in a situation that did not grow. And we've been involved with church that were over 400 and led it. Um, you know, there's a thrill in both. And there are challenges with both. Um, mm. So we've known the not so good and the, the, what seemed to be better, but mm. yeah. Mm. Unai, can you can you speak into that as well? That same dynamic, really, as a as a mum with kids, where the temptation is often to look at other families and go, "Well, their kids are well behaved, or their kids seem to do well at school, and my kids are struggling, uh, or we we moving around, and my kids are lonely, my kids are going on with God, my kids aren't." Can you speak into that from a, a parent's point of view as well, not just in church planting in leadership, but um, some of the dynamics you've observed and how you've coped with that? Yeah, I think it's it's uh, the comparing is quite something, isn't it? to compare yeah, yourself yeah. with somebody. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think we have to get loose of that and just uh, look at your own family. Well, I'm, I, I look to other families, but more like, what can I learn? What can I, you know, what can we learn from this? What can we, I'm in this situation. I would love to learn. So I think to have an open heart and actually to learn, um, I think still on this age, still to learn. I yeah. mean, that's, that's quite an attitude, isn't it? And um, and I think um, yeah, uh, also to keep trusting God uh, uh, in the spiritual, but also just um, having having the joy in your house is is another thing, isn't it? To yeah. really to just be joyful with it, with the kids and um, not comparing yourself with others. Yeah. That's really helpful. Thank you. Um, do you have any other advice, really, on how to take your children on mission or how to raise your children for a life of faith? I would say keep it very close to who you are um, and work from there. I think it is the starting point might be different for everyone, but I think um, God uses what is available. And I think our kids will always see what is genuine and true. They might not listen to everything that we say, but they will see everything that we do. And I think if we are genuine, if we have a genuine article as parents, our kids have got the biggest chance to grow in things of God. Because if they, you know, that's why I think I, I've used that before, but that's why I think Jesus says before he 
teaches on the Our Father prayer. He says, uh, before you pray publicly, go privately. Uh, lock yourself away. Do it at home. And I think at home our kids can see us pray. At home they can see that... Um, because for our kids, for instance, I've not only been their father, but for a long time, even until they got married, I've been their spiritual... Uh, I've been the, the guy in charge in the church in that sense of leading a team. So they've had me on a Sunday and they've had me every other day. So they know if it's okay or not. If it's So I think that to yeah. be, be people of integrity, I think. Yes. You give them the biggest hope by who you are. Yes, I think, and also loving Jesus, you know, in, yeah. in a real way, but also just to be yourself in that too and not yeah. to be, you know not pressing on on them uh, no. what what they have to do but living your life and give them room and also in prayer you know pray for your children because yeah. in the end Very they good. are not our children they're his children you know and that is is quite a relief and that is what we have to learn i mean that's not sometimes straight away but we have to learn that yeah. that's they are his children and um yeah. Yeah, I think for also to to take them to different places where I remember we took them to um, um, was it a, a Reinhardt Bunker a meeting, you know, just and not saying so much, but just being there in that present kind of thing and just see, you know, that God heals and you know things like that. Sometimes just being out of the box a bit and just you know see what God is doing yeah. in the world. I mean. Um, I think that is very faith building because sometimes we can be quite focused on our church. I think that's a wonderful thing about new ground, new frontiers. You know, uh, you know, we're part of a big, the bigger picture, yeah. and to show that to your children, um, you know, in a natural way, mm. uh, and talk about people who are going to a rough time, pray for them, or just you know, seeing uh, you know, hear things. What is really faith building hmm. that helps as well doesn't it Absolutely. And, um, yeah how do you help your children process their own doubts and disappointments in faith without as a parent freaking out <laughs> and overreacting but not underreacting either no again you know it depends sometimes our kids are all different we've got four kids but they're very different from one another what would work for one would not work absolutely for the other one uh, so I think um, some need space and time to process by themselves. Other need you to process it with them. So I think we're all, uh, we found that with our children. Some would like a bit more hands-on with us and others we needed to talk to them at another stage. And I used the example in Liverpool about our own son who was struggling big time in his life. And um, but at the same time, I was struggling big time in church, and he noticed that. And he, you know, he was prepared to talk, but he was certainly asking the questions. How about you yourself? So we come to a place where they he had grown up and become a. He is still our son. He was my son, but he was also someone. He wanted to relate to me as a brother, as someone who was in the faith with him. And I think uh, there's a place for that. And 
to recognize that our kids change mm-hmm. and that they become uh, people in their own right in God. Uh, and you don't do that too soon, but you don't want to leave that too late either. So I think we need the help of God and wisdom of God to do that. So I think that's a whole thing. And it might um, I'm not sure if I'm clear with saying this, but I think it's the... As parents, you by prayer, but also by looking at them, you know what they need almost, and you have to be careful how you then do this. Because what you don't want to do is they then become dependent on you and that they become dependent on your faith. What you want to see is they've got a faith of their own. You know, we did uh, foundation classes with them uh, in our home, but we never, we did it on baptism and everything, but we never asked them about baptism. Why not? Because we didn't force them, want to force them into it. We needed to know for ourselves that their choice was a genuine one and not one that was ours. So I think it's that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, and I think we help them at home, you know, just talking to them and taking them seriously. But also we were fortunate um, having a church in that time when our kids were teenagers. Yeah having a wonderful um, uh, youth group. Uh, it was not, you know, not the teaching was always so good, but they had really good friendship. They had fun. You know, they were very creative and they were still looking in those times, you know, what can we, what can we give them to feed, you know? And uh, sometimes it was a, just a little bit, but they prayed together. And I think that is also um, a very, very helpful and uh, yeah. I, I think for this time, you know, with the COVID for teenagers, it's not easy, no. you know, and, you know, just keeping in contact with them and keeping, you know, try to find creative things. I've seen that they do on Zoom kind of creative things, but, you know, we have to, we have to keep praying for the teenagers and yeah. youth, actually, because it's not always no, easy. It's not an easy. You found that here with the t- students, you know, it's yeah. it's it's not easy, um, no. you know. So, no. but um, yeah, we have to find creative ways and 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 pray for them as well. Thank mm. you. Uh, you referenced the time that your son a- acted as a brother to you and really helped. I know you. De- can you describe that scene to us again? Because for those who weren't there in Liverpool, that was a really beautiful moment where you just described where you were in your life and ministry, where he was. And, uh, and and how you helped one another. Yeah, yeah. I think the moment came where, uh, you know, you sometimes know it isn't going well with your kid. Uh, you see he's not himself. Um, he was not He was not in a good setting. And uh, we prayed about it, but we felt, what should we do? Shall I take him out? Or felt uh, one afternoon he was home, I was home. At that moment, we still had a dog uh, called Humble. He wasn't that humble, but his name was humble and <laughs> very small though. And we took him out. I said to Bram, shall we go for a walk? And so we went for a walk. And I at that time struggled with uh, church, with things that were happening in the church. I was very unhappy. Um, I'm very, very unhappy. I've not been so like that before. So as I walked, I said to him, uh, Bram, is there anything you'd like to say? Is there anything I can do for you? You uh, doesn't feel you're happy. Mom and I talked about it, prayed about it. You know, what's up? So he looked at me and he said, well, I'll tell you what's up if you tell me what's up. 
I said what he mean. He said, you're not a happy man. And I've never seen you like this. And um, what's what's happening? And I haven't heard you say anything about this, but I can see you're not happy, Dad. And um, you know, I can still cry about it. We sat down on the bench and we had this dog in front of us sniffing around. And, and I cried. I told the story of how I felt and I cried in his arms. He took me in his arms and I uh, could cry. And so I had this for a while. So I finally, you know, <laughs> uh, wiping all the snot off my face and everything else, I looked a bit stupid at the dog. And so I, I said to him, what about you? And then he was very honest and he shared his heart. And uh, I realized at the time that uh, we, he had changed, uh, but also he had become someone who could help me rather than I trying to help him. And uh, it changed our relationship, but it also changed the way we looked at one another. Yeah. And I, since that time, he, he felt more open and honest about his feelings and thoughts. I think it was like a, a forming moment. And I I think that moment, um, you know, we've had a couple of those moments with one another, but also with the girls at times, those, I would say, golden moments, those moments you cannot make, but they are there. Mm. And to them, take time and use them. And I think that was a moment in God. Um, yeah, so I think from a son, he became much more than a son and um, yeah I think it's been precious special. time it was very special wasn't it yeah. Yeah. that's beautiful thank you for sharing that and I mean the relationship between fathers and sons is notoriously complicated but equally it's incredibly special and as sons we we want nothing more than to have a father have that kind of intimate relationship with us any advice for fathers on how to cultivate healthy relationship with sons <laughs> no i think i'm i'm not an easy i i you know in the beginning before i met an a i thought there was an extrovert i'll you know but i think probably on my feelings i've been an introvert i the way that an a shows her feelings and emotions to God and really pulls her heart out. And the way that she is with our kids, I'm not that kind of a person. And I I have to think hard uh, about that. But I think um, what I do is I come prepared when I meet my kids in the sense of I have some questions, I have some things that I can share with them and ask them. Um, I've not been in that position that I had a father who would ask me a question. I've never had my dad ask me any question, ever. Never been in that kind of... He probably never learned it himself, but he's never done it. I thought I don't want to become that kind of a dad. So I try to ask questions that are relevant, not like cliche and not too much similar uh, to... And to maybe hopefully open up stuff. But I do ask hard questions, questions that has to do with the heart, with response. Um, and that I find at times have opened up. I don't want my son to think about me to be too serious. So uh, we have, uh, and our kids and our daughters, we have lots of fun times. 
but at the same time, yeah, I'd love to take him out or the girls out and ask other questions. But Ine has been like that more. So she's probably better <laughs> better answering this oh, one. It's, it's different now because they're all married now. Yeah. I mean, indeed, yeah. But I think that I think that answer there is brilliant. I think you you highlight the importance of asking questions of someone because when someone asks you a question, you instantly feel valued because they want to know your opinion on things, which is a was a huge life lesson. So thank you for that. Um, well, our time together is almost at an end, but um, it's been so rich and there's been so many helpful, inspiring things you've said. Is there anything else you just really want to impart to encourage parents, encourage church planters, or any just reflections on how you see the church in general at a time like this? Yeah, I think it's, it's, I think it's very special for families uh, now. It's also challenging, I think, I hear. But um, yeah, I think just, just keeping the joy and... Just be creative in the house. Just be open to share. Um, I think also, yeah, to not to give any, not so much pressure on children because, you know, just keep loving them. I mean, sometimes it's so much pressure they have to do or they have to, you know, but just, yeah, just help them to, um, yeah, to enjoy and just, yeah, like having peace for them. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, well, there we go. I hope you enjoyed that. I know I certainly did. Um, So much wisdom from such a godly and inspiring couple. Uh, It was a privilege to be able to share that with you and to have that conversation with them. Well, friends, next time, in two weeks' time, on the New Ground Life and Leadership podcast, I'll be talking with Emma Goulds, co-founder of Orchards UK, a charity that works in partnership with churches to support women who've experienced different forms of sexual exploitation. We discuss sexual violence against women, family and the impact of hashtag MeToo on the world and the church, as well as looking at some of the lessons that we all need to learn. Here's a clip from that conversation. And I found that from the, you know, my early mid-teens to early mid um 20s i was constantly being beat out or having people make very um very explicit comments um or being followed home um i've no idea how many times i've been groped by by strangers in different um in different um in different contexts during that time and so um you know i've had situations switching and having to fight my way um, um away from people a couple of times and I became Christian when I was 20 um, and I didn't really address, I didn't think I was ready really, but this didn't come to the surface. I think um, God's so kind, isn't he? I think he knows what you can what you can cope with. And I think it was a, after about four years of, of walking with him that all of a sudden, the bit of me that was quite numb um, came to the surface and it came to the surface with real anger. That promises to be a really hard-hitting and hopefully thought-provoking conversation as well. Well, thanks for being with us today. Don't forget to like, subscribe and share wherever you can. And I look forward to being with you all again soon. God bless. Goodbye.